0: Frank Olschlager how are you?
1: I'm doing well how are you doing?
0: Very well um, I found you uh, I posted on a I won't say what group it is I guess but I posted on a group about wanting um, more business people to talk to and you hit me up and I'm very excited. Um, yeah, awesome. Can you give us a little insight about your background and like what led you up to where you are today?
1: Sure. I'll, I'll give you the really quick version and then, you know, we can, you know, drill down in more detail wherever you want. Uh, so I've spent the last 30 years uh, as a serial entrepreneur. Um, kind of going back a little bit before that, I did, did college, went into the United States Army, uh, came out of the Army, uh, did commercial job. Uh, first thing was working on SCADA systems, which stands for supervisory control and, and data acquisition. Uh, what that means in practice is automating uh, hydroelectric power plants uh, and, and things like that. So that was really a lot of fun. Uh, and and I feel like I did some really good projects and did some social goods and, uh, you know, did that and, and went through a couple other jobs. Uh, but things really started, I think, for me in 1995 when I started my first software company um, and, uh, you know, did that four times uh sold most of them uh one was kind of a fire sale that was a dot dot com boom and and bust you know here um and uh you know just kind of kept learning as as i went um you know building these software companies out i sold the last one to sap in 2009 uh was trying to figure out what i wanted to do and a buddy called me up and, and said why don't you come do this kind of unique kind of consulting that, that we're doing. And I thought, well, I'll do that for a couple of years. And then I'll go do a new startup in a product company. Um, that was 10 years ago. And, and I'm still doing the consulting because it's, it's really a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I get to go in and solve other people's problems instead of having my own. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is it less stress to solve other people's problems than your own?
1: It is much less stress to solve other people's problems than than to solve your own. I actually had a CEO tell me once that I took him out to lunch and I was telling him what I thought he should do. And he goes, he goes, that's all fine. He goes, but you get to go home at the end of the day and I have to live with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder if a consultant also helps business people too, because if they're under a lot of stress, I mean, we, we often don't make the best decisions while under stress.
1: That's absolutely true. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: So it's good to have. Uh, you know, it's funny when when you know I was doing product, I always kind of thought of consultants as you know kind of like you, know, you just stay you know out over there. Um, but when I switched sides to become a cult consultant, I realized that you know consultants have a, a lot of value to offer because they are an independent eye looking in. And they don't have the emotion or the politics or the history uh associated with things so you know they can actually be very clear-eyed very very objective
0: so your company is uh 10 mile square technologies is that correct the consulting company Mm -hmm. and are you are you the co are you the founder co-founder
1: no so they started the company so uh my one of my business partners uh, a guy named alden hart um tried to get me to join earlier but i was still finishing the transaction with sap so i had to finish that first and then they tied me d- down for a couple of years, what I call indentured servitude, um, post acquisition indentured servitude. Yep. And, uh, you know, so I did that. And, and as soon as I was ready to get out of there, I called him back and I said, oh, you know, you still want to do this. And he said, yeah. So I came and I joined the company as a principal and as a partner, but I don't get the co founder status because.
0: Oh, that. that's okay. It seems like you're <laughs> a, a very senior member based on. Uh, I've seen it like on the website, there's a lot of uh, posts. Like a, actually, really useful posts. If you want to check out Ten Mile Square Technologies, they have um, your posts aren't some. Sometimes I I see websites and their posts are just advertising their own services, but you guys actually have like pretty useful information on there. Um, we try to you, put out
1: stuff that people can use. You know,
0: yeah, it's great. So, um, what what summoned you to become a consultant? Like, what what is? I guess I'm I'm wondering like. <laughs> why you were so motivated to do this specifically?
1: So it was, a, it was an interesting transition for me. Um, I, I wasn't actually really motivated to do it in the beginning. Um, I needed to have, you know, I had just spent 25 years or something like that doing startups back to back. And, you know, for people that have done a software startup before, uh, you know, they will immediately know what that means. You know, it's it's fifteen hours a day, six or seven days a week. You know, you just go, 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 right? My my hair turned this color when I was like thirty two.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's juicy. So, it's good. It's
1: good. <laughs> right? You know, I burned burned it out fast. So it's it's a pretty tough it's a pretty tough lifestyle. Uh, and so after the last one, I just thought, you know, I need to step back. Uh, I had a couple other things going in, on in my life. Uh, my mom was dying of cancer. Sorry, I'm not turning up. I have a peanut in my fur. My mom was dying of cancer and I was kind of going through a nasty divorce. So um, I was like, I just need something easier right now. I can't do another startup. I don't have the energy for it. And uh, so I got you know, back with my friend Alden and you know, we talked about it and I agreed to, to join them. And it, it's funny because internally I thought, you know, I'll just do this for a couple of years because I'm a product guy. You know, I'm a startup guy, I'm a growth guy, I'm a product guy. Uh, consulting is all fine and dandy, uh, good look, work-life balance. But, you know, this is not really what I do. Like I said, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and so what happened is, is as I got into it, I realized, I guess I started to realize a whole bunch of things all at once. And, and one is that you constantly learn. You know, you're exposed to new things all the time. You know, when you're building one product, you know, you still learn things, but, you know, you're, you're sort of on a narrow track, right? You kind of got the, the blinders on and, you, and the laser beam focus. And when you're doing management consulting, you know, and, and technology management consulting and, and tech, even just pure technology consulting, you know, you're exposed to new things all the time. And so you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing, and you're constantly helping people. And that turned out to be a really, really good combination for me. I really, I really like that. Um, You know, I'm sort of an information sponge. And so, you know, it just, it worked out really well. And I I don't know how else to, what else to say about that. It just seems like a good fit. And, you know, here I am still doing it. Um, I've toyed with going out and starting a new company a few times here and there, but nothing has had, Sort of a strong enough emotional magnet uh, for for me to to pull the trigger and, and jump and get to it. Mm.
0: Yeah, technology is like that. You're constantly learning. I'm a I call myself I guess a hobby coder. Like I'm not uh, serious enough about it to get a job and do it for eight hours a day. But you know it's it's fun sometimes. I do some data stuff, and I just yeah. found that like if if you want a career where you're constantly learning, <laughs> get into coding because it never stops. Even if you're just focusing on one language like it's being updated constantly and you have to you can't really focus on one language most of the time anyway i mean you're yeah. um constantly pairing them up and everything's changing and uh so yeah with a technology startup i imagine that you're just going from like one type of technology to a completely different type of technology that you have to relearn and yeah. in, a, in in quite a in a matter of time like in quite a short period of time i would assume
1: yeah. So, you know, so at the level that, you know, I don't have to like learn a new language or something. I, I don't want to. Uh, we, we have, so my company has about 19 people in it. And so, you know, if we have somebody, if we have run into a situation and we need somebody who's an expert in React or JavaScript or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, I've got somebody in our team that can be that person. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't really dive down to that level Uh, of detail anymore, but, you know, you show me a cloud architecture uh, and, you know, I can help you out on that, you know, pretty quickly. You show me how your team is organized uh, and I can help you sort that out. You know, you tell me that your processes aren't working or you don't have any, uh, you know, I can jump in and and help you with that. So it's, you know, part of it is recognizing um, where other people on your team are gonna be able to add value faster. And and sometimes, you know, for less money uh, than if it were me trying to learn how to do it. Uh, But we also spend a lot of time in my company. We give everybody 10 days of training days. So you have the ability to to go and be, you know, expert in, you know, various things. Uh, It's important that we're kind of out there on the front uh, edge of things. And we really know what's going on with technology.
0: Mm -hmm. So when you walk into a company for the first time as a consultant, uh, what is commonly the, the biggest, I guess, inefficiency that you encounter?
2: Uh,
1: hmm. so that depends a little bit on, on what the, what, what's been going on, but I'd say usually the biggest inefficiency is lack of alignment between different people. Hmm. So I, you know, I see this all the time, and, and usually when I get called in, it's because something's not working right. Um, and you know, you start talking to people, and you know, sales doesn't trust product management, product management doesn't trust development, development doesn't trust management. I mean, it's just this all this stuff, and it's because people are trying to accomplish different objectives. Uh, they're 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 not communicating, uh, you know, really. Um, fluidly about what's important to them, what they're what they're trying to do. I'll give you a, a quick example. I went into a company, it's a public company, it's a software as a service company. Um, probably all I shouldn't say because if I say where they are, they might. Be That's bon- good. Um, and the product managers had a bonus plan in place that was one hundred percent in direct conflict. With the bonus plan that the engineering managers had, oh, and so they were all fighting with each other, yeah, and they didn't understand. You know, it was it was really a a, a situation of you know so and so doesn't know what they're doing. They're making bad decisions. So and so, you know, isn't delivering on on what I asked, right? And when you break it down, when I finally you know got down to that level with them and figured it out, I was like, well, you know why don't you guys try to figure out why the other person is acting this way, right? I couldn't be the person to reveal, you know, the bonus plan to each other because, you know, that's sensitive, you know, management, you know, (laughs) information. And I tried to get the the management to straighten it out and they were reluctant to address it at the time. So I got the people in the room and I said, you know, why don't you try to try to figure out why the other person is behaving the way they are. And I spent about forty-five minutes in the room with them, mediating, maybe leading the conversation in, in certain directions. Uh, <laughs> and they they finally figured out uh, that you know they had incentives that were were causing them to behave in this conflicting manner. Yeah. And so then the next thing was to figure out, okay, so how do we align you guys so that you know you can both get your bonuses and be on the same team, right? and so you know a lot of challenges like that
0: um yeah wow it it's the thing when you first said that what what initially struck me was uh i think misalignment is both a corporate issue so it's an issue uh for interpersonal uh organization like organizations that rely on a lot of different people but also like misalignment is one of the issues that I deal with myself as well. <laughs> like yeah. part of me wants to eat a donut and the other part of me wants to go lift weights and <laughs> those are clashing. And I, I do wonder whether that misalignment was originates. I'm not, so I'm not sure about this. I don't want to, you know, put anything out there because I, I don't know if I believe this fully myself, but I, I do wonder if the misalignment starts at the top where the CEO oh. doesn't quite have a clear direction of his, pri- like of his priorities and uh, and maybe it kind of trickles down to uh, and manifests itself in like the engineering team and the sales team having issues or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, no, it 100 percent starts at the top every single time, right? You can you can all so it's kind of funny. Uh, actually, I think I wrote a blog on this one too. You ever watch that show with that guy Caesar? Um, that it's called The Dog Whisperer. Here, yeah, in I've, the United seen, States? I've seen okay. like one or
0: two episodes.
1: Okay, so that's all you really need to see it because. Yeah they're all the same and the answer is always that the dog is not doing something wrong you as the owner as the master of the dog are sending it conflicting and you know uh unclear signals and so it's it's behaving that way because it's confused
2: Hmm.
1: and it's your fault that it's confused right so it's always the it's always the master's fault and you know the Caesar spends the show you know, training, basically training the human, uh, on how to interact with their dog properly. Mm. It's the same (laughs) in software. (laughs) I've had, I've had to take more than one C-level person out to lunch and say, you know, you're the problem. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't put it like that because nobody reacts well to that, but you know, you have to kind of deliver the message that you know you got to change your behavior here a little bit because you know nobody else is is going to get on board while you're while you're doing this and it comes down to like really really silly stupid stuff um and I'm sure everybody in the technology industry will who are, who has ever done a startup will will just you know do one of these when they hear this because they've all lived it before and that's it. CEO al doing a field trip, talking to customers, you know, talking to partners, you know, potential investors, all the things, you know, what a CEO should do. And somebody says something to them. And the next thing you know, they're on the phone with their favorite developer saying, oh, I've got this big meeting with so-and-so tomorrow. Can you just put this one feature, you know, on the home (laughs) screen, you know, uh, so that I can demo it. It doesn't have to work, but, you know, I just, you know. And, And the next thing you know, you know, there's all this unfinished work, there's buggy stuff, you know stuff that's you know just in the and and the, the product starts to kind of bloat a little bit and and it doesn't really have the focus that it should uh, you know that's never happened before in the real world, right but you know it, it's it's stuff like that stuff like that happens all the time and it, CEOs don't realize what a huge problem that that actually creates. Uh, for having a quality product that all the customers that have already bought it can can use and having a solid demo so that, you know, when, you know, your salespeople are, are doing a demo, there's not some random button they've never seen before that doesn't do anything or, or doesn't do what they expect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a huge issue. Um.
1: Yeah. But it's common. I see it. I see it all the time. I've lived it.
0: Mm.
1: I've been it. I've done
0: it. You've learned from your mistakes.
1: (laughs) I've learned. I've learned.
0: So your company, um, I read that you get, uh, you help technology companies get their products on market, on on the market. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Um, What what does that usually involve? So at what stage in their process are they usually out when they call you up?
1: So we get so this is the beauty of, of of what we do. We get called in at at all different stages. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes we get called in at the beginning. Uh, so CTO will call us and say something like, um, "Hey, I've I've got all this data, and you know I'm getting pressure to add machine learning to the product, but nobody on my team really you know knows how to do that or what a machine learning you know data pipeline looks like. Can you guys come in?" help engineer that and then imprint that on my organization. And, and so, you know, that's right. It's kind of at the beginning. And so we'll do that. Uh, Other times, you know, they'll come in and say, um, you know, we've got this, you know, system that we built 15 years ago, this product is out on the market and now it's getting creaky and we need to modernize it, but we need to do that while our current team is, is still working on it. You know how do we do that and and so you know we can come in and and help help do that um sometimes we get called in after somebody's already tried to do something and it failed and and then we're trying to to fix it um probably one of the coolest things that we've done is we built a, a robot, uh robot for a big company um that's actually very cool the, the robot moves around all by itself in an open space and can draw on the floor with one millimeter precision and very complex and intricate shapes.
0: What is its uh, real life use case besides great art? Its,
1: it's real life use case was uh, for the creation of precision patterns in flooring. So to think about like when you walk into fancy lobbies and, you know, there's, there's like like some kind of inlay with like their logo you know cut into the floor with different colored tiles and and stuff like that wow yeah
0: that's awesome
1: so uh, that was that was like an r d project that we did for that
0: company you guys i so that's interesting because i thought for some reason i got the impression that you were just doing saas but you're actually doing physical hardware as well we're, which is
1: so like, yeah so we're full specific. stack and we're We're full stack and we're full life cycle. We we have 3D motion control. So 3D printing is catching on. um, And there's a whole class of like consumer grade 3D printers that cost, you know, less than a thousand dollars, probably about 40% or those ish um, have either software or hardware that we wrote. um,
0: Wow. Do you, can I ask, do you have IP on, do you have like IP on that? Do you get uh, revenue from...
1: Um, so we 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 don't. That. It's actually it's actually funny the 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 patent laws here. We actually our name are, are on a patent for some of our our clients, but we always do our work for hire, so we do not get any money from that. We did create some very specific three D motion control uh, algorithms that we were going to patent, but we were too slow. And in the United States, they changed the patent laws of first a few years ago from first to invent to first to file. Oh. So even okay. even though we had invented this because we didn't file the patent quickly, somebody else filed a patent that was too close to to ours for us to be able to to file it, right? So, you know, we lost out on that on that opportunity. On the other hand, US software patents are almost worthless at this point um as a result of changes in the laws and also uh precedent um that's been set in in court so it's you know people tell me ask me now is like you know should i file a, a patent on this piece of software and i say you know sure if you want to spend $50,000 and and then not be able to do anything with that
0: <laughs> and china can just i mean uh i've i've read briefly something about the the way the patenting system in in hong kong works and it seems like they ignore all U.S. patents and and then just do whatever they want. Uh, yep. I'm not sure if that's that's quite how it is, but it seems. I, I don't know. They they don't seem to really give much precedent to U.S. patents anyway.
1: So patent theft is a problem. Intellectual property theft, I should say, um, is is a problem. It's a problem in China. Um, we talk about it a lot about China, um, but you know it's a problem in in other places too. It's mm-hmm. just that we don't have. A common reciprocal legal framework with countries like China to mutually enforce international patents, right? And and the end result of that is that, yeah, you know, companies in, in China will steal your patents and, you know, do stuff all the time. On the other hand, you know, there must be some way. To control this properly, because otherwise there's no way Apple would do so much in China that that they're doing, right? Because I mean, I I don't know. I've never been inside Apple, but I just figure almost every everything they do it revolves around some kind of unique intellectual property.
0: Now I want to go back to staffing for a second because um, this question keeps popping into my mind, and it's it's not leaving me alone. So you mentioned a little earlier that. Um, I also want to see you write an article with the headline employees are like dogs. Cause I thought, I think that would be excellent, but uh... <laughs> like
1: I would never write, I would never, I would never, never write no, that.
0: No. It would, it would be terrible. It would be, oh. you would probably get a lot of traction from it and it wouldn't be the good kind of traction, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the way I wrote the blog just about the dog whisperer was, was probably as close as I'm ever going to come to that. Cause otherwise the, the headline, uh, would be, uh. I guess it would be, uh, managers shouldn't have pets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, I like that. Um, but what I was wondering is, uh, so you said that um, the managers, uh, it's its the way the managers are treating the employees and it's not like the employees are, are doing something wrong necessarily, but there have to be cases when your employee just isn't doing the right thing, like they're not a good fit for the company. And yeah. um, how often do you see companies where they should just be firing employees that they're not firing
1: so unfortunately i i see it more often than than not but i'm going to i want to change the the nature of your question a little bit because it's not necessarily that somebody should be fired although there are cases of that but it's more the case of somebody is in the wrong job they're in the wrong role they've been given the wrong responsibility they've been promoted into a job they've never done before, and they haven't been given any training or support or mentoring or coaching. And and so they're floundering, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I come in, the first thing that I try to do with these people is give them the mentoring and the coaching and the support that they need to be successful in the job that they have been placed in. And if they're receptive, if they're coachable, um, that's usually pretty successful. And, you know, and my conversations with, with their bosses and, you know, in this, in the C-level folks, you know, all, although every now and then it is a C-level folk um, that is the, in that situation. Um, it, you know, my conversation with them is, you know, this person has been put in an unfair position. You know, you have to forget about everything that you've judged them for up to date. I'm going to work with them. And, you know, in a month, you know, they're, they're going to basically be in a much better place than they are now or you, you should find something else for them to, to, to do in the company, right? Um, sometimes you run into people who are not coachable and then they have to exit the company. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it becomes obvious to everybody and, and you know, they leave voluntarily. They go, you know, say, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go find a job and, you know, it's a good, peaceful ending. Sometimes the CEO is like, you know, well, I've wasted enough money on them already, and you know, I'm going to terminate them effective immediately. And yep. it's like you know, when we'll, you we'll take it down a notch, but you know, people react the way they want. You know, as a consultant, you only have so much um, horsepower, so much vote, right? So you know, and you know, the people are going to do what they're going to do. You can advise them, but you're not actually the one, you know, pulling the pulling the trigger on things. So you know, you don't you don't have full set of control uh, over what happens next uh so you just you just try to engineer the most positive outcomes for everybody uh that you can uh, you know m- mostly it works out Some- sometimes it it doesn't work out too good um but you usually also... that sorry that was sorry. gonna say usually when it doesn't work out um it's because the person wasn't wasn't willing to go for the ride and was going to get left behind anyway
0: yeah I have a two-part question here. Uh, I, I guess the first question is that you mentioned coachability. And so um, I used to be in a. I I worked at a job when I was like 22 and I, it was kind of a, I worked in the weed industry and uh, we would roll like one of my, I did a few things, but in one of the departments that I worked in, we would roll like thousands of joints a day. And um, and it was it was a very machine line type process. And, um, because there were machines that rolled the joints for you and then you did various things on them. And then at every step, I, I kind of figured out how to optimize it. And so when you shave off like two seconds for every joint, if you're, if you're rolling thousands of joints, it's thousands of seconds, you know? And so you can really cut down your time by like half an hour, an hour a day. Um, but what, what I found was that a lot of employees, uh, would not listen. Like, even if I timed the process out and then, um, told people about it and like, hey, if you do this, it'll save you like three seconds, they wouldn't listen. And so initially I attributed, the, you know, when I was younger, I attributed that to like, they don't, It's a, there's a 40 year old guy here. He doesn't want to listen to a 22 year old who's just stepping in and telling him what to do. And then I, I thought about it more and I was like, I don't think I was approaching it from the right angle because I was kind of approaching it from the angle of here are the answers, where mm-hmm. I, whereas I think I, I should have approached the angle. If I would, were to go back in time, I probably would have approached the angle is like, is like how can we optimize like what is what can we as a team do to optimize this better? and um, mm. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that on like how to because some people are more coachable than others obviously, but yep. it's definitely a matter of how you're approaching people and and like yeah, how, how do you help people become more coachable
1: so I don't know I don't know if you can help someone become more coachable or not, but so in the example that you gave you know you were you were trying to get somebody to change the way they did something because you were trying to optimize a process and And so you know if you came to me and, and said, "I've got this problem, and you know, I got this, you know I need to optimize this process and and nobody's you know taking it up. The first question I would ask you is, you know have you demonstrated them to them the importance of why the process needs to be optimized or why it needs to be changed? Have you motivated them? uh, to understand, you know, why they should do things differently or, or why they should do anything at all. Um, because motivation is if, if somebody's motivated, if somebody's skilled, uh, as you know, so I'm a skilled joint roller, right. Um, putting myself in, in, you know, this person's shoes, uh, you know, and, um, I'm not making that claim for myself to be clear, (laughs) Uh, you know, here, here on the air. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you've got this skilled, you know, joint roller and you're coming to them and saying, um, you know, we're going to, you know, do this and we'll shave two seconds off of it. And I might think to myself, i am I, you know, rolling a thousand joints a day? So, you know, if I get six more out of it, who cares? Right. So you've got to talk to that who cares part of the equation. You know, what, what does, how does that benefit the company? How does it benefit me? Am I incentivized to roll more joints in a day or do is my incentive the same whether I roll 500 or 1,000, right? Um, so that's, that's kind of where I would start with that. And I have a little, when I coach managers who are trying to figure out how to get their employees to do what they want, I have a, a little matrix that I use. So if you think about like a square, like a quadrant, And on the horizontal axis, you put skill. And the further to the right you go, the higher the skill. Mm -hmm. And on the vertical axis, you put motivation. Mm -hmm. And so the higher up you go, the higher they're motivated. And then you kind of make that into four quadrants. Mm -hmm. And down here, you have low skill and low motivation. Mm -hmm. The way you manage that person is very different than this one over here, which is high skill and high motivation. Right. And then over here, of course, you've got uh, low skill, high motivation. This is somebody who wants to learn how to do it. Right. And so the way you interact with them is is unique. And then over here, you've got uh, high skill, low motivation. And so, you know, for them to get them to do what you want is a different approach. Right. So this person over here, you're selling right? This is why we need to do this, right? I know you're already really good at, at, you know, doing what you know how to do, but we need to figure out, you know, an efficiency for the company, you know, so that the company can be better, Yep. right? And, and you, you've got to sell them on, on the need for that. So, you know, those are sort of four archetypes and it's, you know, each person in each task, you know, might be in a different thing, right? So if I came to you and I said, you know, optimize the joint rolling process because we need another 10,000 joints a day, right? Just based on what you told me, I would say that you're probably over here in the high skill, high motivation box because you're already thinking about it, trying to figure it out and you've got ideas, right? So, you know, I can basically say that to you, walk away. And when I come back, you know, a day later or a week later, I I know that you will have worked on it and, you know, maybe come up with with some solutions uh, so I don't have to really micromanage you. This person, low motivation, low skill. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself why you're giving them that that task, right? Um, Because that's probably not gonna work out really well. But now let's say if I came back to you and said, hey, I need you to go find us a new source of paper. And you're like, oh, I don't know anything about paper or where it comes from, I don't wanna do that, right? So you're suddenly like, "I, I don't have the skill, and I don't, I'm not motivated. Right. So, can I move your motivation on that? It's like, look, if you can find us a new supplier, then, you know, we'll save 40% per year on on our paper costs and, you know, we'll put 10% of that in your bonus.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. I just moved your motivation. Right over yeah. Here. Oh, you sure did.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, um, uh, this was, this was a few years ago, and I think the company's different now, but um, I think one of the issues was that I don't know if employees saw a lot of room to grow, especially some employees, um, yeah. and there certainly wasn't a sort of monetary incentive for doing better, um, and I wonder if you could comment on this like you know, if, if there is no real mo- this might be a difficult question, but like, if there is no real monetary incentive in the short term, or maybe even the, in the medium term, like the company's still getting off the ground, um, mm-hmm. very competitive industry, uh, you know, cannabis is, is notoriously a super competitive industry because you're growing all the same stuff as everyone else is growing and you're trying to get the cheapest price. And so you're like cutting dollars everywhere you can. And there isn't a lot of profit, especially at the beginning. And still to this day, not a lot of cannabis companies no. are profitable. So, um, how do you motivate? Is that that a
1: legal industry in in Australia? I guess cannabis.
0: Um, it's becoming more legal. It's medical right now. Um, and, but this was in, uh, the States I was living in Seattle. So it was as as legal as it gets in the, in the U S. Right. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, I will, I will not tell you about some illegal excavates online. Well, no, I wasn't sure because I
1: hadn't, I hadn't heard about Australia and, and, and where, they, where they were. Um, but know, Seattle makes perfect, perfect sense. I yeah. mean, yeah.
0: Hmm. No, yeah. Um, we're doing a lot of medical stuff right now. I think it'll, it'll slowly become more legal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how do you... Is there a, is there a solid way to motivate employees if you, don't just, if you don't have the funds to give them a bonus if they do well?
1: So, yeah, financials are, are only one way to motivate people. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, good leaders, good managers spend time to get to know who the people on their team are, right? Which I understand could be hard if you've got, you know, 500, you know, manufacturing employees, you know, working under you. So you've got to kind of do, do what you can there. So it's, you've got to adapt to different environments. But, you know, in a, in a small company, in a, in a technology company, you know, most people know at least all their second level, second direct level direct reports, um, you know, if not everybody in the company altogether. And so you've got to take the, the time and get to know people a little bit and, and what motivates them. So software engineers, sometimes, you know, you can motivate them just with the challenge of a problem, hmm. right? You know, say, Hey, you know, we're going to set out to do this thing. We don't think it's ever been done before um you know you're our brightest mind on it uh you know we, we you know you're our brightest mind for this kind of thing we want to put you on it uh you know we work on it right and a lot of engineers will will take a challenge because they like to solve problems mm-hmm. um you know different people are motivated you know by different things um you know it, it, there's there's intellectual challenges there's there's social challenges so something that they do in um a lot of sales teams in commodity uh, type selling environments. So you know, think electronics, cars, you know, things like that. Is they have contests, right? Uh, and you can do this in manufacturing too. And, and and they do do this in in manufacturing. And that's you gamify it, and you put up big boards, and and you show you know who has made the most zero defect you know joints, or you know who has sold the most cars or you know who created the most you know uh upgraded you know sales right you know so in the you know in the front end in the retail environment you know customer walks in and says you know hey i need a couple pre rolls and the person says oh that's great you know how about a bag of gummies with that right you know you just added 30% you know to the ticket um yeah
2: you know
1: and so you can you're you gonna motivate people in different ways. Financials isn't always even the best, right? Um, in fact, once people get to a certain level in, in Maslow's pyramid, uh, more money means very little. Mm. And, and it's other things, social belonging, peer standing, um, these things become much more important. So, you know, if you have somebody who you're already paying you know 100 plus thousand dollars a year you know an extra two thousand dollars might not be that meaningful to them but a public shout out that you know they made you know a significant contribution to the product that made all the difference for the ability to sell it successfully in the market that's like a year's worth of loyalty right there
0: (laughs) yeah Absolutely. And um, I, I have found as well that uh, it seems as if companies that reward the people under them. So like, if you're, you know, if you're a manager or whatever, and your employee does really well, um, then if you're, if you're the one who says like, oh, my employee just killed it today. They just did something amazing. Like that not only helps the employee, but also it helps, I think the rest of the crew, like when I was, I was kind of managing teams and I would tell my HR manager like, oh, my employee did really well today. They, they, they were just doing, you know, they they came up with this new idea and it saved us money. And then suddenly the HR director is getting good news from your department when all the other departments are giving her bad news. And uh-huh. like, it's just, she, she might even just associate, you know, you with the, with positivity and, and like, yeah, yeah good fortune rather than, but yeah.
1: It, and, and, and a well-running organization. Right. And And that's important too, because then when, you know, the next economic downturn comes and the CEO sits down and says, oh, the board just told me we've got to get rid of 15 people. The HR person is going to be like, well, don't touch, don't touch this team over here, man, because they're performing. They're, they're, they're carrying the company right now. And that may or may not be true, but that's the perception.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you should get to know your employees. And, and kind of get to know their motivation systems. Now I know in the military, uh, they seem to do, uh, in some branches of the military, I'm not sure about all, but they seem to do something where they'll have uh, one guy managing like five or six different guys under him and then they'll each manage five or six people under them. Do you think that's, and then, you know, so on and so forth. And so you don't have one guy managing a hundred people directly. Um, do you do you think that's kind of the best yeah, way to- Yeah, you can't do that. I mean... Yeah.
1: I, I, so it's interesting. Um, So the military is very, very hierarchical. um, But the the American military operates in this weird uh, nexus of command and control and and networks, right? Um, And so you've got, you know, a very formal chain of command. But when our military is out in the field operating, it's the team on the ground that is in control of the situation. Uh, and, and there was one general that, that put it really, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, um, but he put it really well, it's, it's, and, it, and it goes, um, in command, but out of control. Mm. And, and so I think that's, that's a really important concept um, especially in larger teams, because you can't, you, there's just, just no way that you can control hundred people, right? You can't, I mean, I don't know. I, I couldn't anyway, right? It's just, it's too much. It's too much to keep up with. Right. But, you, but you need to have a plan. You need to set the direction and you need to be able to communicate that really clearly, but then you should get out of the way. Right. Or or be there to clear, you know, goals and obstacles. Um, you know, if if I'm in there telling individual developers, you know, how to change their code, then there's something very, very wrong with with that situation. Right. You know, I, I should be talking about, you know, here's our standard for for delivery.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I want to go back to something. So before you mentioned that there were uh, there was like four quadrants of employees. So low motivation, low skill, uh, low motivation, high skill, high skill, high motivation, and high motivation, low skill. Uh, can you give us a brief rundown of how to treat each of those employees and how to motivate them?
1: I, I can. And, and in fact, there's a blog post on our website about it too. <laughs> um, but, uh, so with, I'll start at the bottom left, low low motivation low skill employee so the first thing is if you're giving a task to somebody and and that combination of that task and that person right because each each task you have to evaluate this right you know so i could give you one task and you could be high skill high motivation i give you another task you could be you know high skill low motivation or, or any one of the other ones right and, and i would have to work right? i'd have to communicate with you differently and manage you differently for each one of those tasks right which i think to a lot of managers is sort of a initially a foreign concept um, because you know, you're a whole person. Why should I interact with you this way in this case and then in that way in that case? And, and, that's, and the reason is because you get better outcomes for everybody um, as opposed to just taking a blanket approach uh, and, and calling it done. So uh, low motivation, low skill, the first thing you have to do is ask yourself is why are you giving this task to this person? Right? Do, do you have any other option available because this is really your, your worst possible choice? Uh, and if it is, you don't have any other choices and that's who you have to work with, then you first, you have to motivate them, right? You have to say this is, and you have to sell them a little bit, right? Uh, This is why this is important. This is the contribution it will make to our team. This is the contribution it will make to our company. This is the outcome that we'll create by having this task done. And you know, kind of really get them to understand what the importance of it is. And then because it's low skill, and this is true of of the one right above it where you're high motivation, but you're still low skill is you have to show them how to do that. You have to spell it out for them. They don't know how to do this, right? So you have to basically show them how to do that or give them a resource that that will show them how to do it. If you don't know how to do it yourself, or, you know, you don't have the time to do it or something like that. Um, But if you just leave them to flounder with it, it's, it's not going to get done or it'll get done poorly or it'll get done done wrong so you have to take them through it and you have to show them how to do it you have to be there or have a resource there for them to check in you have to check in with them every day or two um, and and check on the progress and and guide them in the right direction and it sounds a little bit like micromanaging and, and it is a little bit but you're not in the negative sense you're helping the person grow a new skill And so you're hands-on with them to help them to to grow that new skill, right? Um, So really, if you have that low motivation, low skill person, you you try to move their motivation up first and then work with them to to, to grow that skill. If you can't move that motivation up, task isn't gonna get done well, no matter what, right? You've just given it to the wrong person. and, And even if you have nobody else, maybe that's the case where you don't delegate it, you suck it up and do it yourself. Um, this is all about delegation, right? It's, it's really what we're talking about. Uh, and I just sort of covered the, the high skill, low motivation, or I mean the, um, high motivation, low skill scenario where I am eager to do it. I want to learn how to do it, but I don't know how to do it. You know, you don't really have to motivate me. Um, you know, yes, I still want to know why it's important for the company, but you don't have to do as much of a sales job on me. It's just like, you know, here's the thing. This is why we need to do it. Um, here's your resources. I'll check in with you and make sure you have the, the help you need. Um, you know, let's get this done inside, you know, the next three days or four days. Do you think we can, you know, is that possible? That's and high skill,
0: high motivation.
1: Yeah, that's that, yeah. that's low, low skill, high motivation.
0: Oh, low skill, high motivation. Okay. Yeah, low
1: skill, right? Because you're checking in with them like every day. Mm-hmm. You know, here's here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. First step, do the first step, come back, show me, we'll review it, right? And then go do the second step, right? Um, and you basically walk them, walk them through it step-by-step so that they can onboard the the skill.
0: Okay. Yeah. All
1: right. So then over on the, um, other bottom right part, um, you know, we've got the, uh, high skill, uh, low motivation. And so in this case, you really need to get them to understand why it's important and why it's important, why you're asking them specifically to do it. Right, um, because they might think, you know, what I'm a senior architect. Why do you want me to review this junior person's code? I mean, that's like way below me. Why would I? Why would I want to do that? Right? And you might think to yourself, well, nobody would ever say that. But yes, somebody has said exactly that to me before. Um, and so you have to motivate them on it. And how you motivate them again depends on, on you know, what you know of that person. Uh, and, and how they will be, what intrinsically will, will motivate them, right? And, you know, maybe it's somebody before that said, you know, I really want to move on to the management track. And so you can say, okay, look, you know, mentoring junior programmers is the first skill that you really need to onboard if you want to move into management. So I'm giving you this opportunity to work with this person and start by reviewing their code and make them a better programmer, Right, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so this is how I moved to manager. Now I've just motivated that that person with this task that they just thought was below them a minute ago." Right, so
0: Jocko Willing's book. Um, he's got a couple. I forget which one it's from. Uh, from, but he talks about leadership a lot, and he says that low motivation, high skill employees can often be motivated. Uh, sometimes they're they're just not given enough um, leadership, and so yeah because initially people would say oh this guy's low skill oh high skill low motivation we should kick him off the team because he's not performing but uh another side of that coin if you find the you know the right sort of person for this is like oh no actually put him in a leadership position where other people are looking up to him and his reputation is now at stake and so he needs to like he needs more challenge maybe but i guess that's maybe in in your words i think you guys. It's interesting. I, I don't know if you've read his books, but you're mentioning a lot of his tactics. Actually, so it's a lot of the same leadership tactics. But um, in this case, it might just be that this guy isn't challenged enough. So he doesn't have enough intellectual challenge, and yeah. he's just not. He's just bored, or or something like that. He doesn't feel respected.
1: Yeah, okay. that's that's yeah. very possible. Yeah, yeah. And and then and then the high skill, high motivation, easy. They're they're basically set and forget hey, this is important to the company, we need it done. When, when, when will you have it done, right? Friday, okay, great, I'll check in with you Friday, right? Um, and you don't have to do it. So follow-up, by the way, um, with each of these is critically important. If you delegate something to somebody, you ask them to do something, and you don't follow up with them in a couple of days or whatever the timeline for the, the task is, uh, they're immediately going to believe that even though you told them it was important, it wasn't really And then the next time you come to them, you're going to have that much harder time, you know, motivating them and selling them on the idea that, that it's important. So follow up when you delegate is critical. If I give you a task, you say you'll have it done on Wednesday, Wednesday comes and goes, I haven't heard from you. If I don't follow up with you for Thursday morning, you're going to be like, Oh huh, well, I guess it wasn't really that important because you know, I forgot to send it to them. I did it. I forgot to send it before I left, but they're not asking for it, so maybe I'll just sit on it and see if anybody comes looking, yeah. <laughs> asking yeah. about it. Right? You know. So you you got to follow up, um, and it's important, and it's especially important with people who are learning new skills. If they started given tasks with low skill, you've got to repeatedly follow up up with them. You know and and how often depends on how complicated the task is and and you know how steep the learning curve for them is and, and things like that but it's follow-up is critically important to delegation even even in high skill high motivation it's just how often and how you do
0: that follow-up changes i imagine it's also important to keep high skill high motivation employees motivated yep mm.
1: and it'll change right so you know you, you might be high skill high motivation on task a and, you know, low skill load of motivation on, on task B, right? Uh, so, you know, my individual task motivations sort of all meld together to, to form my overall motivation in, in the workplace. So if I'm a high skill employee and you keep giving me grunt work or busy work, then, you know, not only am I not motivated to do that busy work, ultimately I'm going to become unmotivated to work for your company at all because i'm being undervalued i'm not being given real real work that utilizes you know my skills and my capabilities and you know unfortunately i see that a lot i think that's all over the u.s workforce but
0: <laughs> one thing i did want to ask you as well uh, i noticed that you were hiring are you still hiring
1: we are we are hiring we're hiring like crazy we've been hiring for the last year and a half
0: that's a good uh, challenge to have to deal with. Yeah. So, uh, I'm wondering what, when you're interviewing people, um, what stands out for you when if you were giving advice to, oh, what what positions are you hiring for?
1: So, uh, I would actually have to go look at our our, our website because we just hired two people, but I think we're looking for a data engineer, a senior software engineer that's full stack. Uh, and we're done, we just hired the DevOps person, so we don't need that anymore. So I think those are the two positions that we're focused on right now.
0: Okay, so um, I can say if you're, if you're looking to hire like a, a great software engineer, or whatever it is, what are you looking for um, in that employee in the interview?
1: Yeah, so what I tend to look for tends to be a little different um, than what our, our tech leads, Look for so our tech leads will dive in and and do like really deep technical interviews and and like live coding you know joint you know coding things on the online and and stuff like that i I don't tend to get into the stuff with that level with people anymore. what I look for is is pretty straightforward.
2: I look for curiosity you okay over there. <laughs>
0: Did this really great thing where I drink and then I inhale the liquid that I was drinking. I so just figured it's great they put moonshine in your
2: camera. cup
1: and it was a little unexpected.
0: Oh, yeah, moonshine moonshine gets the uh gets the <laughs> interview going great, it uh, helps right, yeah. lubricate the, the gears, the, yeah.
1: The conversation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so I you know I look for curiosity, uh, it, you know curious in 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 our company anyway, if you're not curious you're you're probably not going to survive you know very long, but I think in general, I like people who are are curious um, I look for people who have a good problem solving capability uh you know and that's pretty pretty easy to suss out um you know with with a few questions and you don't even have to ask them hard stuff you can just ask them about stuff that they've they've done and you know kind of drill down on it a little bit and you know how they approach this or that or you know kind of what challenges you know they ran into and, and how they dealt with them um and i look for people that i i, I don't really have a, a good way to say this and Um, I probably shouldn't even say it, but I look for people who are awake. Um, and I don't, I don't mean like woke, you know, when I say that, um, although I think, you know, we all, that's not the, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing that that people are getting woke. It's kind of gotten a little memed, but I look for people who are not sleepwalking through their life. If that makes sense, because I think a lot of people sleepwalk through
0: their life i i totally agree with that um in terms of not for employees but uh in terms of like people i try to associate with you know like there's
2: there's a
0: there's a track in life that you can go down and you go to university and then you do your job and then you go home and watch netflix and you kind of just take the past path of least resistance i think and you don't you don't necessarily think too deeply or consider your actions and um It makes for a fairly boring person in my my estimation, even if they've got a great job, even if they're, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I would agree.
0: Um, Peter Thiel asks his employees, uh, what is one thing that you believe that most of the world does not believe? And I think that might also be a litmus test for being awake.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Maybe I'll try
2: that out.
0: Do you have an answer for it?
2: Something. Yeah, I do actually.
0: What is I the do.
1: answer? So, so it gets a little weird. Um, but I, 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 I believe that the universe, as, as we think of the universe, which is, which is limited anyway, um, for all intents and purposes, is
2: alive and consciousness. And conscious yeah yeah
0: i um i have been more and more interested in like manifestation it started a couple years ago when i was reading think and grow rich and i would write down like what i wanted to achieve and uh it ended up that i had just achieved a lot of that stuff and some of it just kind of comes from nowhere. Uh, I, I d- and if you were an atheist, if you were a very atheistic, like rational type person, you could say, um, which I, I do believe as well, that it just gears up your mind. So if you're, if you're, especially, I think it works before sleep. Like if you just read, if I, I would just write, like, I will find the love of my life, or whatever it is, you know, and then mm-hmm. um, it kind of gears up your mind to look for those patterns in reality, especially before you go to sleep, because I think your mind, I mean, I know my mind processes things as I'm sleeping and comes up with solutions. And so, um, but if I were to go deeper into it, I mean, there's so much of reality that we don't know. I mean, physicists are, I have this idea of like having 11 dimensions or something. And so that means if, if I, in some way exist in other dimensions that I can't perceive, who's to say that my thoughts do not have ramifications outside of the 3D physical world that we can measure um, currently. And So,
1: yeah, let me, let me try to untangle. A, you said a couple of things there that in, in my way of, of thinking are a little, little tangled up. And yeah. yes, there, there are many more dimensions than we can sense and, and feel or, or are tangible to us. Um, and that's because most of them are what physicists would call um curled up um, they're they're very small, right so the the dimensions that, that we can inhabit that we see, uh, you know we fit within those dimensions in a way that those dimensions are very vast. And you know the the other what six or seven or so dimensions are infinitesimally small. And, and so you know it's not like we exist also in those other dimensions, but there is a concept of the multiverse, and it is very possible. That you know there are parallels, if you will uh in in the multiverse and and if that's a matter of dimensionality or not i don't know i'm I'm not at that level of cognition no. <laughs> uh, but you know it's uh it's a it's a fascinating fascinating idea, right but you know also it's it's the same idea that our universe is only one of you know, potentially trillions of universes, Mm. right? And if we think about the idea that, you know, our solar system sits in a galaxy and our galaxy is one of, you know, billions, if not trillions of galaxies and all of these galaxies make up our universe, which we know is expanding, then what's not to say that there's another one over there That maybe has the identical laws that our universe has, or, or maybe it has completely different laws than our universe. And that there's not trillions of these universes inhabiting some thing, some space, some vacuum, some bowl, you know, whatever that, you know, we're just not even prepared to comprehend right now in our little tiny human brains.
0: I guess, I guess maybe, um, pointing out the dimensions thing, which I'm severely undereducated about, wasn't the best idea. I guess, I guess it was something like, um, we have so little idea of reality that, yeah. yeah. But um, to go back to this multiverse thing, um, I read Max Tegmark's book. uh, I've forgotten the name, um, but it's about, a lot of it's about quantum physics. Uh, Excellent book. I I wish I could remember the name, but essentially from what I understood, And by the way, I went into this book and after I read it, I felt like I understood less about quantum physics than I did before I read it. But um, uh, every time a particle is interacted with by another particle, um, if you have like, uh, some things are are rotating, I I guess quarks or something, some things are rotating one way and then every time a particle is interacted with, then it it collapses. So there's this idea where something is, uh, in a state of spinning one way and spinning the other way, and then when it's interacted with, it kind of has to decide. And there's this idea that every time it decides, it um, splits into two different universes, and then uh, perhaps the these paths diverge. And so this is happening so constantly because every single particle in the universe is constantly splitting into two different divergent paths. Which I yeah. I'm sure that is a uh, an oversimplified and wrong explanation of this, but I, I do <laughs> wonder. Go on.
1: No, it's actually it's 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 actually pretty good, and I think pretty close. And there was a really famous experiment that's been done and and it's shown to be repeatable that in fact demonstrates exactly what you're talking about. Um, how this particle collapses to a wave function, uh, and wave functions are probabilistic, and and so when it's observed, um, this particle hits you know both targets at at the same time, even though it was only afforded you know one. Pathway, uh, or something like that. I forget exactly how the, ex- the experiment worked, but it basically demonstrated what what you just what you just talked about. And it's one of the sort of fundamental, I think, puzzles um, at at the quantum level. And I think physics, quantum physicists, now, if you ask one, will and it's funny, Einstein said this a long time ago, is that um, that the everything that we experience is the result of of probabilistic resolution but it all happened at once and time is an illusion and so we're moving on this illusion of of unidirectional time and experiencing these probabilities as they collapse uh and we're all doing it in a very unique individualistic way right so how i experience an event how you experience an event could be completely different even though we were both at the at the same event sort of at a macro level right and, and so that's happening all the way way down at, at the at the quantum level and it's not until we observe it that it it manifests uh, and you know becomes the reality that we lived
0: I want to go back for a second. Um, I thought this
1: was going to be about entrepreneurship, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you know, that's not whatever it's about. <laughs> uh, um, I I want to go back to what you said before about the universe being alive. Have you had an experience of, of the universe being alive?
1: So I I spent, and I still I still meditate, but I, I'm not as much as I, I used. To to do. I, I got really into, um, transcendental, uh, meditations and Zen meditation for a while. And when you do that, you, you get to a place where you can be very still, like you can really still your mind. You can really quiet your mind and you can really inhabit your body and, instead of your head, and when you do that and you get to that place of stillness, there is a presence. And it's, it's a, I don't really know how else to say it, but you feel very connected to all things. And, 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 and my, my takeaway fr- from those experiences was essentially that. We, humans, our life forms, all life forms on the planet Earth, all life forms everywhere and and anywhere, are simply physical manifestations of
2: the universe experiencing itself.
0: Yeah, I can agree on that.
2: So... Most people freak out and walk away when I say things like that. but
0: (laughs) No, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. I think um, now I'm going to hop back to mine. I'm hopping tracks here constantly. But um, I think I I gave all this sort of scientific jargon. And um, perhaps what I really meant was that I think faith has an incredible utility. um, That uh, is kind of irreplaceable without it. And so I think one of the reasons why religion and spirituality is so important to people is because it gives us faith that things will work out as we want them to. Like if I'm manifesting, um, money for instance, and then I immediately, my mind has all these ideas about like, oh, you can't get it because like you, you know, what if you like try to get money and then you quit your job and then you like lose, you know, you go in debt or whatever. And like, or you have so much debt, how would you ever get out of this hole, you know, and, and, and then you feel all these constricting feelings and you feel like you can't make it, but if you can somehow kind of surpass, like override that with, mm-hmm. with or without kind of a spiritual guide um, and just focus on like, I am going to get this. And it's already happened in a way, like there's this talking head song, And one of the lyrics is the future is certain give us time to work it out and i really like that line because it's like oh it's already happened in a way i time will just figure it out for me um and i will figure it out it's not like i'm just gonna try to manifest lottery tickets like i don't think that's how it works but uh yeah I, i i do think that that's been very helpful for me and i i wonder if you do have the same experience with like when you went into these business ventures like I wonder if you had that same attitude of like just kind of certainty that it was going to work out, or did you? Yeah, how did?
1: So you have to be an eternal optimist to be an entrepreneur. Um, if if you're not an optimist, don't start a company, um, <laughs> because <laughs> it, it's gonna be really hard. <laughs> you have to believe. I mean, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in the vision. You have to believe in, in what you're doing. I can't tell you how many times I sat up at two o'clock in the morning on, on Friday, it was, you know, starting probably 10 o'clock Thursday night, grinding through the night, trying to figure out how I was going to make payroll the next morning. Um, you know, it's you, and if you don't, if you're a pessimist, you know, if you don't believe in what you're doing, if you don't believe in yourself, you don't, you know, it, it's just, you're going to give up, right. Or, or you're going to crash and burn. Uh, or you know lots of things that are not good outcomes for, for anybody. So yeah, yeah, you, you know you go into things believing, believing uh, in yourself and other things like that. That doesn't mean you don't have times of, of self-doubt. Um, but I'll tell you when I when I started my first company, I didn't have any of the philosophy, any of the experience that I have now. and I literally just bulldogged my way through it. I mean, you just right, you know, you just burn, 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 uh, and you, you just pull out all the stops and 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 do what needs to be done. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting, you know, like the whole concept of, and I, I'll I'll be honest with you, I struggle a little bit with the concept of, of manifesting, but mostly because of that book, The Secret, um, which I which I think is, have you not heard of that? Uh, I haven't read it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't 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 read it. <laughs> um, it it it's it does it does people it, just, it takes some it takes some valid ideas and it casts them in a very materialistic way uh, and basically convinces the I the goal of the book I think is essentially to convince you if you tape a million dollar bill to your your TV monitor that you know money will start arriving in the mail. Yep, um yeah. And it says that's not how it works.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, so I, I, I struggle when, you know, with the, with the concept of manifesting a little bit, but I think it's, it is, it is true that, you know, when you write down your goals, you write down what you want to accomplish, you instantly, by an order of magnitude, improve the chances that you're going to accomplish it. And there's all kinds of things in that, you know, you mentioned atheists before, we'll say, well, you know, that's just psychology, but you know, there is a psychology aspect to it, right? You know, there's, there's also a clarity aspect to it because once you start writing down your goal, if you're, you know, doing it, if you're really writing it down, you start thinking about it, you start refining it, you start planning on how you're going to get it right, you know, on how you're going to get there and and it's self-activating. Uh, and then you start talking to people about it and sure there will be the people that are like, Oh, you're wasting your time. Don't do that. You know, 10 other companies tried that already, or, you know, you know, who are you to do that? So there's this woman on LinkedIn right now, Stephanie Stuckey. I don't know if you've uh, seen her at all. Uh, she, are you familiar with Stuckey's the old road trip gas station, pecan log roll store that was here in, in the U S now? Um, so anyway she she bought this company from some p e firm or something. Her grandfather started the company. it was driven into the ground you know uh she she 's basically you know turning this thing around from the ground up she 's put it out on social media what she 's doing and out of the in right right in the public view, people are coming out of the woodwork to help her resuscitate this old junk food Kitch store brand you know stephanie if you watch this i'm sorry to say that like that but that's you know and it's it's being very successful right she's turning this company around and people are coming out of the woodwork to support her and and to help her like some of it's emotional support but you know people are buying you know the products people are offering to help in other ways you know i i've seen people talk about you know you know how can i invest in this i mean it's so when you put the whole point of that is when you start talking to other people about what you want to accomplish, there will be as many, if not more people that come literally out of the blue, out of nowhere to help you as, as there are naysayers or people that tell you, don't do it. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. You know? Um, and so it, it's really kind of amazing. And and I think that gets into the whole you know thing about you know manifesting too which is you've got to put your ideas out for other people to help you if you keep it inside if you keep it a secret you don't tell anybody then nobody can help you with it right
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's um she could i don't know how she's marketing it but it seems to me like she could sell a dream almost like she she kind of owns this piece of americana Um, she does yeah yeah and so, so I can see why so many people would want to flock to it. Like, oh, let's help an American business. Like, that's that's old timey and kind of reminds us of our grandparents. Like, it's not, it's not like a BP gas station or whatever. It's like, this, yeah, like, yeah, hmm.
1: that's exactly right.
0: I so I so I have
1: to right. ask: since did you grow up in Australia or did you grow up in the U.S.?
0: Uh, I lived in the U.S. till I was five, and then okay. at seven years. Uh, five to like seven or something i went i I moved to costa rica and then australia so um uh sydney newcastle two hours north of sydney and then like i'll just tell you the whole story um melbourne at free university which is a great city super fun city and um then at like 22 i went to vancouver canada seattle and then came back um so at, at 24 i four or five i came back um cool yeah, yeah. So I've I've always had the accent. It's just like, you know, whatever. Everyone thinks I'm like a tourist, but uh yeah, I've spent more time <laughs> in Australia than I have in the states.
2: That,
1: that's funny. And so where where were you in Costa Rica? Are you on the west coast or the east coast or in the middle?
0: Near San Jose.
1: Okay, nice. But I
0: I remember very little of it. I don't speak Spanish, you know.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Costa yeah, Rica is a gorgeous place.
0: Yeah, I remember the wildlife. I saw some really incredible wildlife there, like the jungles and. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting place, especially as a kid, because it was also interesting to see at such a young age, like the poverty there. And. Um, yeah, how there would be like ten ten 10 people living in a shack, like a, a corrugated iron shack and um, our housekeeper, who we kind of uh, like you kind of had. Have- you you feel like you have to hire housekeepers because you're actually just employing local people and like we never had a housekeeper since but like you just do it because this lady was uh supporting her parents weren't around for some reason and she supported like nine of her siblings on this one income and um and so i think it was good as a kid to get that perspective on life as well
1: yeah Mm. no that's cool Mm
0: yeah and australia is a great country i love it have you been
1: yeah so i've been to brisbane and i went scuba diving out at lady Elliot island um mm-hmm. which which was really really amazing um and brisbane is a totally fun city uh absolutely absolutely loved it there
0: yeah yeah super warm like warm water oh like almost all year round the water is great uh yeah it's nice and the scuba diving in australia is incredible i've, I've only it, been a few is. times but like oh my god it's a different world and it's a world it that is. humans aren't really supposed to see
1: <laughs> it kind of feels like that right you're down there seeing stuff and you just know that like you know you're you're the only two or three humans or however many people are in your diving group that will ever see this exact moment Like, you know, these four fish, you know, that nurse shark and this turtle and, you know, these things, you know, all right there. And and they'll never do that again. Right. You know, and, and so it's just, I don't know. It is, you feel like an interloper, but it is just so, it's also very peaceful.
0: That sounds like a, a very meditative thought to me, um, because that's true for anything, isn't it? Uh, like every moment is so unique and, um. I wonder how, how has meditation helped you to get where you are? Why did you get so into it?
1: Oh, because I was burning myself out crazy. Um, it's actually funny. So uh, uh, somebody that I used to know a long time ago uh, recommended, he, he had just read a book and he recommended the the book to me. It's called the power of now. Um, yep by yeah you're familiar with it and uh and so i read that book and i was just like well this is like a completely different way to think uh and i was at a place where i really didn't have anything else to lose um you know so i gave it a try and and that's kind of what got me started um on the meditation track but you know i tend to uh kind of evolve uh, from, you know, if I take some, if I read something, if I learn something, um, by reading, I'll try to evolve it. Um, my, my partner actually, she laughs because, uh, I cook that way too. Um, and so the first time I ever make something, you know, maybe I'll use a recipe or at least I'll look at the recipe first, but the joke in our house is, um, if I make something and you like it, or if if I make something and you don't like it, the good news is you'll never have it again. <laughs> Bad news is if you like it, you'll never have it again.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cuz my my recipes tend to just evolve as as, you know, uh, I guess based on, you know, mood or whatever, but I tend to do that with most things. I, I take ideas, I take thoughts, I put them into practice and and I evolve them. Um and so I got my start with um the power of now but uh just kind of moved on from there and and really got into uh you know the I, I think you know being present is important that was probably one of the big number one things I, I i took away from that and kind of changed how i even do things inter interpersonally because how many people do you know that you have a conversation with them
2: yep. like
1: this yep. right and every now and then they look up and they're like uh-huh 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 that's not really present right um And so if you can be fully present for somebody, well, so first of all, let me tell you lesson learned for me. When you're a 50 something year old guy and you're fully present for a 30 year old woman out in a social setting, she thinks you like her.
2: Mm, Yep. (laughs) Um,
1: Because she has never experienced a, a guy being fully present before. Um, and I think it probably would work the other way around too, right? But I only have my own personal experience to, 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 to draw on there. When, when you're fully present with somebody you already know that, that that's a friend uh, or a colleague uh, or an employee, they sense it and, and they really appreciate it you know, quite a lot. And that's the same for, you know, if you have a partner or a spouse or, you know, anything like that, being fully present for them in a conversation is a game changer.
0: Yeah, um, fully present for me oftentimes means, um, well, if if you think about how your mind works, you can only really pay attention to one thing at a time. And oftentimes your awareness moves from, visual to auditory to like if i'm playing with something like the 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 tactile and Mm -hmm. um and so it it is kind of constantly switching but we don't notice it because it's it's kind of the default and so uh present for me means like focusing completely on someone and then obviously for me at least thoughts will pop up and then like just kind of letting them disappear not fighting them too much and then uh focusing on on a specific person and oftentimes I'll find that when that happens I will a thought will pop up and then I'll notice like I'll let thoughts kind of go down again but at the end of the conversation like they're I would say the most pressing thought or the most important thought will kind of naturally come up anyway mm-hmm. and it will allow me to guide the next part of the conversation
1: yeah yeah I mean we're always we're always going to have thoughts popping up in our, in our head. And so fully being fully present doesn't mean that you have to control those. I like the way that you put it: is you let them come up and, and fade away and they'll, and they'll resurface at, at, at the right time. But, you know, it's really about not thinking, you know, when I'm talking to you, for example, I'm not thinking about changing out the laundry, you know, I'm not thinking about my next meeting. I'm not thinking about the conversation that I just had that maybe didn't go the way that I want. Right. I'm, those things in, might be out there, but those are compartmentalized. You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm present for this conversation. And a lot of people don't do that. You know, they'll, they'll sit there and think about, you know, whatever is going on in their head um, versus focusing on what the person they're talking to is saying. And here's a really good example of that. Now, now, that, now that the world lives in Zoom, Uh, and everybody's on zoom meetings and they're not in meetings any in in, in in-person meetings anymore you get on a zoom call there's eight people on the call nobody has their camera turned on how many people are actually paying attention to the meeting right how many people are present for the meeting versus writing an email in the background right or you know scrolling through Facebook or, or, or LinkedIn, looking up the p- other people in the meeting that they don't know, right. <laughs> um, or thinking about when is it going to be my time to make this point that I came to this meeting to make, right. You know, um, versus listening and, and, and actually being present. And, and I think it's, it's just too, it's just too common of a, um, a social ill, I think in, in today's world. um uh, and it's bad. We actually, I run when I do team restructuring, team rebuilding exercises. Uh, we have, there's one that we do that, that makes the point uh, about being present for your for your team. And it's especially bad, I think, in software companies because there's so so much work to do. Right? People come together for a meeting and they're busily cramming away on their on their laptops in the in the meeting, trying to get done their work while the meeting's going on. And then somebody says. Um, so, uh, Serena, what do you, what's your update on that? And you're suddenly like, uh, what are we talking about? Can you repeat the question?
2: Yeah, I'm
1: sorry. My mind wandered for a second. No, it didn't. You haven't paid attention for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Right,
1: And you heard your name. And so it's an interesting thing, the way our brains work. So you mentioned, um, you know, that our brains are constantly like switching context, right? Uh, and, and that's true because we have, a background process that listens for our name, right? So you can sit through 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of a meeting, miss absolutely everything that was said, and somebody will say your name and suddenly your your attention is back onto that meeting, right? It's it's like the Alexis, you know, trigger word, right? You're kind of listening, but you're not processing it. But as soon as somebody says your name, you're like, oh yeah, how can I help you?
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And, um, software is one of those industries as well. On top of that, that doesn't necessarily prioritize employees or, or people or incentivize people to be really engaged with other people. I mean, you can kind of just get away with like being on your computer 24 seven and just, and it's like coding is a different kind of language in your brain. Like when you're coding, you're not, I don't think it's like switching processes. Like you're not exactly thinking in words often time when you're coding. Like it's a it's, different you're thinking yeah. of
1: logic and, and and math. But you know what's interesting about that is when a when a when an engineer, when a programmer, coder, call them what you want, is writing code, they are fully present for that code. They are 100% there, focused on what they are doing, and this is where the state of flow arises from. You know, you can get in the state of flow with another person. A lot of people think of the state of flow as a very individual thing. I can get into it when I'm writing. I can get into it when I'm playing my guitar. I can get into it when I'm meditating, right? Can you get into a state of flow when you're in a conversation with somebody? You absolutely can. Think about it. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you look up and an hour is gone and you thought, oh my God, I thought i have been here for five minutes. Yeah. You, you got into flow with them. And, and that means you were present in that conversation with them you were present with them and for them and them for you and that's a magical thing when it happens it's it's too bad it doesn't happen more in the
0: world when i'm playing guitar it's that it's like it's flow but it's the reverse of uh i i have all these thoughts and all this kind of processing that i do and then i look up and it, i think it's been like half an hour and it's been five minutes like it's just time like slows down dramatically and it's like i don't know if my thoughts are faster if it's just that perception but Mm. I oh, want to know. So, so,
1: what kind of stuff do you think about when you're when you're playing guitar?
0: Um, I think there's a lot of background processing that happens. Maybe emotional. Um, I I certainly uh, I don't have a, a, a big music theory background, and so a lot of my playing guitar is like it's almost like different frets are light, lighted up, and then I'm kind of thinking in shapes in this weird way um Mm -hmm. I I, you can understand I'm sure and uh and then whatever I'm playing I think there's an emotional resonance that goes with that that maybe is whatever however that emotion resonates to my life maybe there's some processing going on which I think is why I, I have this question of like why why do I like sad music I mean I like other music too but why do I listen to sad music like why would I want to make myself sad and I think part of it is that there's this going into that depth and allowing myself to feel those feelings in order to like clear them out and maybe see the beauty in them mm-hmm. i want to know about your music so you have this beautiful collection of guitars i mean, I mean huge <laughs> them and all that uh soundproofing or uh, i guess reverb blocking type of stuff I yeah
1: so I, so I actually built a full studio in my yeah. basement so um cool. and and you can't you can just see the tiny little part of it but there's there's a couch over there there's a drum set in a little alcove over there. Um, there's the amplifiers on on the back, and you know, there's more guitars in a closet, and there's there's stuff all all over the place. And the desk that I'm sitting at actually has all the recording units, and there's a um big big console here and all all the things. So yeah.
0: How long have you been playing?
1: Uh since i was about 10 or 11 years old or so yeah same that's
0: picked it up seriously yeah, yeah. what uh what you you're in a band what's it uh what's it called
1: <laughs> so uh, right now the so this is a new project this this band uh, so we've been rehearsing a bunch of uh new songs um, and right now our our working name for the band is a little bit
0: broken
2: cool i like that
0: hmm What draws you in to music so much? Why has it been such a constant in your life?
2: Um, It
1: is an emotional sink, a creative outlet. Um, I don't know. I've always, always felt connected to music. Uh, You know, I was the geek in the, you know, seventh and eighth grade band, played trumpet. I was in the marching band. I was in the concert band uh, you know, all, all the things that get you punched in the band room in high school. <laughs> uh, you know, total, total nerd. Um, but I didn't care. I mean, and you know, I, we had a piano, his old piano in the house and, uh, my mom got me a guitar for Christmas one year. And I just, I've just always been attracted to, to music. Um, and I can pick up most instruments pretty quickly. So, you know, I can play a lot of different things. Not well, but I can play a lot of different things.
0: <laughs> yeah. Got to be able to play one thing well. Um, yeah, the that's of-
1: the guitar. I play the guitar very well.
0: Mm. Do you do any, uh, do you do much on the production side of things?
1: Uh, yeah, I do. So uh, I have my obviously the whole production you know capability here um anything if you go out and listen on apple music or spotify or anything that i put out there um that was all made right here was all produced right here there's, there's one song in particular um that's more more production more producer type stuff you know i guess in the, in the vernacular of the kids it's got beats uh what's it called um that one is uh what is that one called that one i put that one out a couple years ago that one is
2: called um uh that's pretty bad um all
0: right i forget my stuff soon. i can't
1: even remember the name of my own own song now that i put out um oh it makes me numb yeah makes me numb
0: and who the, what's the artist how can people find that what's the band name oh it's just name? my
1: name it's frank frank olschlager um yeah good luck spelling it but uh you know uh you can you can find me out there like that so if you like if you like sad songs um you, you might like you might like uh makes makes me numb it's it's a pretty sad pretty sad song i process a lot of things in in my songs so you know they're poignant
0: good good hmm yeah. Um you I'm I'm currently uh producing a song and I'm I'm just in this place where I'm it seems to be taking me forever. And part of that is because I'm getting better and better at producing. And so mm-hmm. like a year ago, I was I, I've just gained so much in a year. Like I'm um way more confident. And a lot of that is just that I'm watching a ton of tutorials and I'm learning, but yeah, a lot of my songs seem to take a very long time, and I seem to have a lot of unfinished songs that I really love and I really would like to get out there. Um, do you have any tips for getting stuff out there and not, not getting stuck in the music writing process or in the creative process in general?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know if I have anything useful to say. Um, I, I probably have 100 unfinished songs right now. Um, some of them will never get finished. You know, they get stuck. Sometimes they just have nowhere to go. Um, sometimes I'll come back after several years and and pick up the thread. I uh, just did that with a, a song a couple of weeks ago. It was like the song really just sat stuck for a long time, and then suddenly, like a new verse came to me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's the song, right?" You know, uh, and uh, I was like, "I don't know where that came from," but you know, there it was. Uh, you know, so I think it's this is going to sound just so boring and and roll but um it's a carve out time and and just do it every day right you know pick out set a goal you know what you're what you want to accomplish like so sometimes i'll sit down and i'll be like okay well, you know we tracked we tracked this song Um, now I need to, you know, go through and, you know, do the EQ and, uh, you know, try to figure out where do we need, you know, a fill, you know, is this good, you know, do I want to use this guitar piece or that guitar piece? And, you know, Oh, what if I added a little reverb here, you know, and, um, you know, things like that. So I'll try to carve out a session with, with, with goals, uh, to do. And then, you know, in terms of done, when is done done, um, it's just a, it's just a feeling I get when I listen to it, and I'll be like, okay, this is, this is it, this is the song, this is how it goes, this is what the song wants to be. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a believer that I'm, I'm a conduit for the song more than its creator. Um, so you know, you gotta listen to what the song wants. It sounds weird, but
0: no, I totally get it. Yeah, it sounds, it feels like that for me. It feels like I'm a different. I've had this experience of like feeling as if i'm a different person playing through me or something yeah it's very very strange
1: yeah but i mean just songs will fall out of the air lyrics will fall out of the air um riffs will fall out of the air and and if i try to i force if i try to like really say okay i'm going to write something right i'm going to make something from scratch and i can sit around for half an hour and not accomplish anything but if i open myself up to what's there um things can usually go pretty quick
0: playing with other people is really important for me too because it does feel like there's this meshing and this dance of two different energies or whatever you want to call it and they produce something together that either one of us wouldn't have produced ourselves
1: yep yeah it is funny you say i'm doing right now with with the band that i put together we you know we practice on sundays we're, we're all, you know, we all have day jobs, you know, we're all, you know, doing professional, you know, kind of work and so we've carved out Sunday afternoons and, and we get together and our goal is to get, you know, through two songs each Sunday. And uh, we don't always accomplish that, today Today we did. But, you know, the, the first song that we started working with um, by the end of today had, really evolved because of the 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 group contribution right the group dynamic that that arose out of it and the song is much much better for it like if i sat down here by myself and did it you know it would have been probably very close to exactly the same as the way i conceived it right and and now it's a better song for having had three other people have put you know input into it as a result of learning it and playing it with them. And by the way, I gotta say it's it's a real it's both it's a trip and an honor that other people want to come together and and play songs that I wrote. I mean that that that, that you know it's like what do you mean you like that song enough to learn it and play it in public?
0: Yeah. I like that gratitude mentality too. It's um yeah, that gets you far. That uh yeah. yeah. It seems like it's a natural thing for you. Hmm. Um for me learning uh yeah, is there anything that like you think really helped you level up your musical ability in any way? Um for me, for instance, when I learned this circle of fifths, it was just oh. Uh, I mean, it was like, oh my God, (laughs) of course. uh, If you're a musician, check out the Circle of Fists if you don't know it. Um, But like, it doesn't need to be something theoretical or whatever, but is there anything that really helped you like get way better?
1: Playing solo in public. Take your guitar and a microphone and go play in front of a bunch of people in a bar. That will make you instantly better every time you do it.
0: All right. I don't do that enough. I've only done that a handful of times. I think that's probably the best advice I could have heard.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So so are you going to do like a little musical production piece to put at the front of your uh I don't I can you call this a podcast? Cause it's a video, right? What do you is it still a podcast? I mean, is it a video? I think
0: think video podcasts are yeah,
1: video podcasts. So you're gonna have like a little musical intro to your video, your video. That's a good question.
0: So I am currently working on uh Yeah. So like, I've been thinking about how to optimize my podcast, how to make it better. And um, I was just on this track of like, oh, just get it out there. You know, it'll get better. And it is getting better as it goes. But uh, the biggest piece of low hanging fruit right now is that I don't have an intro with a song. And so, but I'm set on writing my own song. And uh, I could, I could can't, Since you've said that, I could like wait on this one a little bit longer and then uh, you could be the first one that has an intro. Um, Yeah, I could probably write one fairly quickly if I gave myself the time and just kind of the constraints to do it. And then I have a friend. you
1: You need 20 seconds, maybe only 15
2: seconds. Yeah.
0: I'm no thinking long like long. five seconds, really. I don't think it needs yeah. to be super long. Or maybe 10, because in the the skip function on YouTube, it like goes 10 seconds immediately, and people sometimes yeah. don't want to listen to the, the... So it might be a 10-second 10, 10 yeah. thing. Um, yeah, 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 you're right. And it's like, I could do guitar. I could make it electronic. I'm trying to figure out what my style... Like, the biggest thing on my mind is what style of music reflects my podcast, reflects me. It's a very personal mm-hmm. decision.
2: I have
0: a a friend who's going to make, who I want to make some art for me. So I'll see how that goes too. So what do you use,
1: what do you use for your dog? FL Studio. FL Studio. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's the only one I've tried. Um, And I I loved it. The visuals are great. And uh, it's, it's actually the, you buy it and you get free upgrades for life on whatever package you're part of. So like, yeah. So I, I just thought that was a great move by the company. That's why I made the decision. How about you?
1: Yeah. Cool, I use uh, Logic Pro from uh, Apple because I'm on the Mac platform.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, I've heard that they have little idiosyncrasies but pretty much you can do whatever you want on um, any of them.
1: So this this comment will get me an instant flame fest from all producers that ever watch this video but a DAW is basically a tape recorder on your computer. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well it's got a lot of other things in it. But yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Mm. A very expensive tape recorder. A, very, yeah. <laughs> a muddy pit of a tape recorder. You so, just right. buying yeah, things. Yeah. 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 It's uh it's the inspiration that matters. The um in the work ethic. Yeah. yeah. Watching watching tutorials, watching videos has like helped me a lot. Treating it like a job. Oh, getting back to goal setting, I I'm naturally a very scattered person. Um, And so I I have so many ideas and like so many things that I'm working on, but uh, getting to like the goal settings, it actually writing down all the goals I want and writing down 15 goals. It's like, oh, this isn't like I can have faith and I can be positive, but like, oh, and and actually having a calendar and like planning out my whole day. It's like, oh, I I actually don't have time for 15 different goals here. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I have time for two goals, uh, you know, in, in terms of like, um, yeah. So my two goals are like a podcast and music production. And that's all I have time for. And I was even doing like solo videos on this channel before. And, and I was just like, that's like, it's, it's scattering my energy too much. I'm not focusing on getting like better and better, um, guests like, like yourself, because I'm, I'm doing all this other stuff. And yeah. So, um, for me, just single-minded focus and treating it like a job and listening to the right. tutorials and all that stuff has been really, uh, really useful.
1: Yeah, treating it like a job is, is a critical piece. And, and that's really for anything um, that, that you set out to do. You have to carve out time for it. You have to be accountable for it or, or it's not gonna happen.
0: What's your time management system like?
1: So, you know, it, it's evolved um over time but so i get up pretty early in the morning uh and so i also uh, so you're gonna laugh but my time management is driven by my goals and i have both some short-term goals and and some long-term goals uh and you can also think of those as kind of like also point goals and 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 process goals so what was uh, the first one
0: one? sorry what goals and process goals
1: uh point goals and process goals. goals So a point goal is 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 something you complete in a in a point in time, right? So a point goal might be a weight loss goal, right? Say I you know I want to weigh two hundred pounds, and once I weigh two hundred pounds, you know that goal is accomplished, right? Um, a, a process goal might be, um, you know, I want to continuously improve uh, my musicianship um, on the guitar, or you know maybe I I you know continuously want to improve, you know my uh, you know, production skills, right? You know, you're, there's no end point there, right? You're just, you have to be really good at knowing where you are and what your next step is and, and you know, where you want to go and how you want to evolve, you know, that kind of skill. Um, and I think it's important to have a mix of, of both of those kinds of goals. And I do, uh, I have a whole system for the goals, but so this year um, I wanted to learn Spanish and so I have, I got the Duolingo Lingo app, and so I get up at five in the morning, uh, unfortunately, and I spend, I and I make an espresso, and I spend uh, twenty minutes learning Spanish, right? Um, and then one one of my other goals is uh, around health and fitness, and and by the way, all all my goals are driven from my my uh, core values. Uh, or in alignment with them. I should say they're not necessarily driven with them. Um, and so so being fit and, and healthy is, is important to me as, as a person. And I did a bad thing during COVID. Um, I, I ate too much, I drank too much, and I didn't work out enough, right? You know, some people went the other way, but, but that's what I did. Um, and, and so this year for 2022, I, I set a goal to get back to my fighting weight um, but more importantly for me, uh, is to be fit and, and that's measured in, you know, things like, um, you know, blood pressure, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, uh, and things like that. You've got to have a way to measure, measure your goals. Right. And so I spend an hour every morning, uh, you know, work doing a cardiovascular workout and, and a fitness strength, you know, workout. I'm, I'm getting to the age where you know men need to worry about muscle loss Uh, and so you know i've you know started lifting heavier again to make sure that i can keep my strength
2: yeah (laughs) right
1: um you know it's important it's important to me it's not important to everybody um but but it's important to me and you know i lost sight of that for a while so i so i had to come back to it so so my time management is is you know based around my goals another one of my goals is to grow my company 10 mile square Uh, you know, some were, are doing a good job of that. And so I spent, a portion of my day is dedicated to networking and, you know, business development, you know, kind of activities. Portion of my day is, is dedicated to following up with, you know, current clients. Uh, you know, if I have anything going on with them, uh, some of it's, you know, dedicated to following up with, you know, former, former clients just to check in and see how they're doing. Uh, and things like that, because keeping the network strong is is very important. But also, you know, I tend to form very um, deep relationships with my clients based on the nature of, of the work that I do. So I care about what happens to them after I'm, I'm done uh, with with whatever project that we've we've completed. Um, a lot of my time during the workday is actually. This is actually, this is sort of interesting because I used to do this thing called calendar blocking where I would block out large sections of time for me. And I think that can work in a lot of contexts. It's actually a good practice. A lot of people have written about it. Um, But what I found is that in my business, what I needed was to have blocks of availability available for my clients To book time with me. And so I signed up for the service called Calendly. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. And I put my Calendly link out to all my clients. You know, now if they need a one-on-one coaching session or, you know, they have a problem they need help with solving or, you know, even they want to talk about, you know, spinning up a new project or something like that, they can book on my calendar directly um, anytime in any of the big blocks that I've put out on my you know, calendly, you know, calendar for them to use. And so I get driven asynchronously for a good bit um, of my day during those blocks of time. And at first I thought I would hate that, but it works really well and and I've adapted. Uh, And so I manage my time around that and the things that are really important to me, I do before those blocks of time begin in the morning.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, establishing, allowing your customers to establish like a, a better one on one relationship with you seems, and without having such rigid constraints, I would say. Uh, yeah. Sounds like a great idea.
1: And, and nobody likes to do the, oh, I need a 50 minute conversation with you. When are you available? You know, it, dance and email back and forth three times. You know, you could have had the conversation by now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> back to back to the exercise thing because that's also I've noticed like um how much it changes my life when I'm exercising regularly did you notice any um were you paying attention and did you notice uh a difference in your like moods or mental health um from when you were not exercising as much compared to now when you are exercising more
1: yeah no absolutely um it's you know it's I have more energy and this won't surprise you based on our earlier conversations but i finished my workout with a five-minute meditation session i mean nothing nothing too crazy but just to kind of you know refocus and 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 center myself and stop breathing hard (laughs) um but uh you know i I come out um much more much more centered much more grounded uh i find that if somebody throws a challenge at me first thing in the day then i'm not just like you know it's like okay you know what do we got (laughs) you know um so i think it definitely has has a big big difference um mentally internally it has a big difference for me i feel better about myself um you know when i wasn't working out when i was putting on weight when i was drinking too much i don't i did not feel as good about myself and i didn't know it at the time Um, I was just thought, you know, this is just, you know, I'm just going through life being me. Um, but you know, once I got back on the workout train and got really focused around my goals, I I realized in hindsight that I I wasn't feeling that grateful about myself and because now I am and I, and I sense that difference. Mm. Right sort of like even like how you walk down the street, right? I feel like I sit up a little straighter or stand up taller, and, you know?
0: I found my, my work ethic improves enormously when I work out. I can pay attention a lot longer and maybe, maybe enter into flow more. I'm not sure about that, but I can certainly work for longer periods of time. Yeah. This might be the biggest for me. Um, I'm going to wrap up. Before we do, uh, I want to ask you, is there a book... That you would recommend to that you wish everyone in the world would read, or you think most people should read?
1: So can I can I answer that in two ways? Yes. So I will say everyone in business, anyone who is running a business has responsibility for any person, any other person or company or anything like that, especially in the technology industry or any kind of growth company, has got to read. The Hard Thing About Hard Things by uh, Ben Horowitz. It is probably the single best business leadership book I have ever read. And the reason is because he doesn't talk incessantly about success mode. He talks about all the shit that came along and messed him up and the emotional turmoil that he went through to try to deal with it and the lessons that he learned from that, right? And it's an amazing, I, I, I learned a lot from, from just reading that, that book. And I think I've learned very little from reading almost every other management book. You know, There's probably 4,000 management books in print right now. I just made that number, but I have no idea how many there really are. And they all say the same seven things in different ways. Ben Horowitz actually says something new and and different and, and meaningful and and useful. So I, I think that's, I think that's good. Um, In terms of, of books that I think um,
2: every human should read, you know, That's a hard one. Um, you know, there's so many good books out there.
1: I'm just gonna stick with the business book everybody should read.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I've appreciated this conversation so much. Uh, yeah. Uh, i can't believe we're
1: in two hours already
0: yeah 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 it um it took some turns that i wasn't expecting but i was pleasantly surprised
1: same i i thought i was gonna be like all talking about like startups and growth you know growing SaaS companies and you know stuff like that but uh no this was this was great so when when should i expect to see something come out of this
0: um, I'm going to give it a week. I don't, uh, I don't upload on a schedule. I, um, <laughs> I guess one of my biggest weaknesses is, is like organization at the moment, which is getting better because I'm, I'm focusing on the podcast so much, but trying to stick to schedules somehow made me upload less. And so I was like, all right, don't, don't make yourself stick to a schedule for now, just get stuff out there. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm not put I'm, I'm of the opinion that for me, what works best is just to do an MVP and like just to upload the bare minimum and and get that out there and then just slowly optimize. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But uh, yeah, I think about a week. I will, If I give it a week, that also gives me a hard deadline to make an intro. So that might be the best way to go for me.
1: Okay, there you go. Yeah. So just let me know when when you put it out. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, I hope I see you around sometime.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'll see you on the Chen's group, but um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or even on Facebook if if that's where you prefer. I'm
2: pretty open that way, so. Great. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, later. thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye.